you seek the key. But first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today. Electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the fund's investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramer. Other people want to make friends. I'm just trying to make you some money. My job, not just to entertain, but to educate and teach you. So call me at 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. What's better for the market? A thaw in our Cold War with China or weak data that shows the economy is slowing enough for the Fed to get more prudent and less aggressive with its rate hikes. Hey, why choose? Today we got both. The one-two punch that sent the bears absolutely reeling. Which is why the Dow surged 265 points. The S&P ran up 1.06% and the Nasdaq jumped 1.75%. After two fabulous days in a row, it looks like the Kodiaks and the Grizzlies were ready to pounce. But thanks to the Chinese thaw and some not-so-hot economic numbers, the Bulls racked up another win. Of course, tomorrow is another day. Because I am acutely mindful that Apple reported numbers tonight that came with a forecast that some regarded as disappointing, along with some news that they're not going to break down what certain products are selling well or or selling poorly. They're just not going to give you that kind of granularity. And you know what? I think there are a lot of people who wanted a big guide up and didn't want to hear about they're not going to give you such inf- more information. And uh, you know what? They're not going to do that for the sake of doing so. So the numbers might cause a pause in the tech rally tomorrow. We'll probably catch some downgrades of Apple. But let's go over the bigger theme. Let's not, let's not get too granular about Apple for a second. And certainly don't panic because, well, you know what? These are volatile times. But think about what would have happened if you panicked last Thursday. Let me walk you through what happened today, though and why it could prolong the rally ex-Apple for a second. First, as I've been telling you for weeks and weeks, we're now in an environment where bad news is good news. And by bad news, I mean anything that suggests the Fed's eight rate hikes so far are doing their job, slowing the economy to the point where the Fed can tone down the rhetoric about how they are willing to overshoot, take rates too high in order to break what I regard as being only, uh, let's say, nascent inflation. At 10 o'clock this morning, we got exactly the kind of bad news we've been hoping for, something that confirms pretty much everything I've heard from the myriad companies I talked to. I'm talking about this thing called the Institute for Supply Management's Purchasing Managers Index, or the PMI, which gauges the health of the manufacturing sector. It gave us a reading that suggests there is a real slowdown, and that it started taking hold in October, like I've been telling you. The PMI came in at 57.7. Wall Street was looking for 59, lowest reading since April. New orders index plunged from 61.8 in September to 57.4 last month. The production index sank from 64.9 to 59.9. 
Even the employment index slipped from 58.8 to 56.8. Now, I know these are all just seemingly just numbers on a blackboard or something, but what I've been looking for is a recognition by anybody that we've seen some real deterioration. And I think the Fed has to wake up and look at how the economy is already downshifting. Of course, tomorrow's the employment number. They may say, you know what, that's all that matters. But I'm looking at things like what American Electric Power, the largest utility transmission company in the country, told us already last night that things are slowing. Gigantic coverage area. Now, I'm not saying they need to stop tightening immediately. No, I am absolutely fine with another rate hike next month because I want to ensure that the economy won't overheat, just like the Fed. After all, the ISM Purchases Index, which measures prices for raw materials, jumped from 66 to 71. That's too hot. However, think about it. Over the course of the last month, the price of oil has plummeted. The price of wood has come down. All the metals. Most commodities are now headed lower, not up. And I think those lower prices will work their way through the system in a positive way, which means the inflation problem will solve itself. That's good news. I think it explains, let's say, half of the rally. Remember, weaker data gives Fed Chair Jerome Powell some wiggle room to pause his plans for three more rate hikes next year. Rate hikes that I think could really hurt the economy if the data continues to show deceleration like the ones we got today. A little bad news. Well, let's say we get it now. Potentially prevents a lot of bad news in six to 12 months. But as positive as the PMI was for the broader market, President Trump's stunning tweet nine minutes later changed the complexion of the entire NASDAQ, which had just begun to start swooning again after two good days. Let me read it to you. Just had a long and very good conversation with President Xi Jinping of China. We talked about many subjects with a heavy emphasis on trade. Those discussions are moving along nicely with meetings uh, being scheduled at the G20 in Argentina. Also a good discussion with North Korea. End quote. Wow. Wow, sir. Listen, we've had a remarkable sell-off in tech. And the blast zone, of course, the place where the nuclear bomb went off was in the semiconductors. That's where things were really, really bad. Why? Because not only has business slowed, not only has the trade war hurt the group, but chip makers that might otherwise be able to rally have been held back because there's been a real dearth of takeovers ever since the Chinese government blocked Qualcomm's acquisition of NXP Semi. Talk about timing. Do you know what? There was so much irony here. We got NXP's numbers tonight. Today and this very morning. And there had been a ton of trepidation going into the quarter because the company has so much exposure to autos. Turns out the linkage cut positively for NXP. Between the president's tweet and some very good earnings, the stock vaulted $9 or 12%. And honestly, it might have more room to run. NXP's currently at 84. Uh, but remember, Qualcomm was willing to pay $127.50 for this thing, and the numbers were extraordinarily good. Same goes for the numbers from Corvo, not the tequila brand, but the telco chip maker. What a turn. Naturally, the positive pin action spread right through the whole group. The Philadelphia Semiconductor Index had been a total house of pain. The house of pain. But after the president's encouraging China tweet, it ended up rallying 4.6%. Big standout, Micron, the commodity chip maker with a stock that had lost more than 40% of its value going into into today's session, thanks to a slowdown in two of its key businesses, Flash and Dynamic Random Access Memory. And, well, the stock finally rallied. It's up more than 6%. It helped that even as the president's tweeting conciliatory things about China, of course, the Justice Department indicted a Chinese firm that allegedly has been stealing Micron's trade secrets. Bit of a mixed message. We also saw a nice run in the stocks of companies that source their goods from China. Hasbro, Nike, casino operators with uh, uh, Macau, uh, Wynn Resorts, saw its stock were. And tonight we got a stellar set of numbers from Starbucks, which called out China as the fastest growing market. Although I think the turn in the U.S. is a bigger deal. 
All right, now we got to come full circle. I am sure that people are just saying, Jim, I don't care about any of that. What matters is that Apple reported numbers that they didn't like and that the stock got thrown away because they didn't, will no longer give you a breakdown of individual products. I am sure there are people who will just say, you know what? I have to panic and sell Apple because Apple must be turning down. And it's going to be herd animals all over the place. And all I can tell you is, wait a second, please, just wait a second. Apple, Apple's ecosystem continues to grow. The stock was up 30% going into the session. I accept that the stock is going to go lower. But remember, we just had a thousand Dow points that were worth capturing, even if we get what I'm regarding as an undeserved crushing of the stock of Apple tomorrow. You know what I have to say? I say a stock that was up 30% coming in, that is reported an amazing number, but was conservative and changed the way it's breaking things down. Here's what I say. I would still own it. I wouldn't trade it. Bottom line, I've been saying that we need to see the Fed or the president blink in the respective battles against inflation in China. Neither one blinked today. But being the, but between the decelerating PMI numbers and the president's conciliatory tweet, we got a glimpse of how things could go right and it sends stocks flying. And if the Fed or the president blink for real, even with the number that everyone has decided makes it so that Apple's the worst stock in the world, even with that, we could have more upside. But after this remarkable run, indeed, let's not get too greedy. Gary in Alabama. Gary. Hey, Jim. Thanks. Uh, big booyah. War Eagle from South Alabama. Nice to have you. Love your show, and uh, thanks for helping me fund my retirement. Well, that's good, man. Uh, that's, that's what good. I want. Don't want people Would to be greedy, but I'm uh, buying what? Red Hat for 190 a share and Red Hat trading today at around 172. I want to know if it makes sense to buy Red Hat here and just hold on to it until they close the deal. Seems uh, like you know what? Uh, look, I thought about that all day today, and then I'm doing a, a talk for members of the ActionLearnsPlus.com club. I made that same judgment for Allergan. I said, hey, you know what? It's got to close with Pfizer. I crushed myself. So I'm going to say we're not arbitrageurs. We don't need to be there. Uh, it's just too hard. All right, guys. Today we saw what happens when you get a thaw with China and data of a slowing economy. Now, aren't you happy you didn't panic from last week? But, of course, tomorrow's a new day, and everyone's decided Apple's best days are behind it. You know what? If you can't take the pain, go ahead and sell. Me? I think the best days are still to come. Oh, man, money tonight. A sector that was once the safe haven on Wall Street is now the most broken I've ever seen. I'm breaking down the decline of the big drug stocks. Then GW Pharma, a little drug stock. Recent FDA approval is a crucial moment in the history of cannabis, medical cannabis. So what's ahead? I'm sitting down with the CEO to find out. And you're, you're going to want to hear this because those stocks are not so bad, not so good, but this one is. And cybersecurity play Proofpoint has been on the decline. Is Microsoft taking their market away? I'm going to find out what's going on there. Stick with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at cnbc.com or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. When you're hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. 
Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging to connect with candidates faster. Plus, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visible visibility at indeed.com slash mad money. Just go to indeed.com slash mad money right now and support this show by saying you heard about indeed on this podcast, indeed.com slash mad money terms and conditions apply. Need to hire. You need indeed. In an aftermath of a big decline, when stocks start flying like they did once again today, we got to talk about what counts as safety so we can upgrade our portfolios. During the meltdown, a lot of supposedly safe and stable large cap companies nevertheless saw their stocks go down and down and then down some more. The drug stocks, for instance, have long been viewed as a bastion of reliability. But lately, a number of big pharma names have just been annihilated. And that's highly unusual. What do you think? Allergan, AbbVie, Gilead, Bristol-Myers, Baxter, wow, these... Aren't these great companies? Since everything's bouncing today, I figure it's a real good time to talk about their uncharacteristic behavior. So maybe you can readjust if you want to, because safety's last with these guys now. The stocks are something like Donna Summer, because when they're bad, they're so, so bad. Let's start with Allegan, a stock we used to own for my travel trust and is ActionAlertsPlus.com members. No, the thing has tortured me for years. When Allegan caught a takeover bid from Pfizer, I stupidly decided to play Arbitrageur instead of ringing the register. Then the deal fell through. And I wrote it down almost 50% before dumping my position. Finally threw in the towel because I didn't like how the company was losing exclusivity on a couple of its existing drugs. Of course, after my trust took the loss, what happened? Well, what happens when you do it sometimes? Stock rallied furiously. Maybe I did something terrible in a past life. But then this week, that whole move fell apart as the stock came plunging back to earth until it eked out a rally today. What happened? Okay, Allergan reported a quarter that on the surface looked like a classic beat and raise, seemingly the ultimate comeuppance for my travel trust sale. While almost every analyst applauded the quarter, we started hearing talk that CEO Brent Saunders wasn't bringing out enough value quickly enough, and the stock somehow got obliterated. If you bought Allergan right after its supposedly good quarter when it was jumping up, you lost more than 20 points in a blink of an eye. Now, Allergan does have two huge possibility drugs in this pipeline an acute migraine medication, and a treatment for depression. But neither, I think, is going to be enough to help 2019. Meanwhile, their competitors over at Amgen have a new migraine drug that seems to be a lot more effective than the current standard of care, Allergan's Botox. That's one reason we've loaded up on Amgen for the Chapel Trust. I think the stock is now way too low versus where it was trading just a couple weeks ago. Allergan, though, if this is how it behaves after beat and raise, I say no thank you. Stock rebounded 4% today, but I, I don't trust most drugs here, so I'm saying... Be careful. And by no means am I meant to pick on Allergan. It was just so visible. Look, I could have been talking about AbbVie. They got the same problem. For months now, we've been hearing that uh, about upcoming drugs that could rival Umara, which is AbbVie's blockbuster anti-inflammatory drug that's generated $21 billion in annual sales uh, by 2020. Now, here in America, Umara is protected against biosimilars. That's a biotech version of generic drugs. But Europe may be a different story. And investors view these biosimilars as a clear and present danger to AbbVie's earnings. I thought everybody knew about this stuff. This is a new thing with drug stocks. I mean, everybody's got to know, right? I figured it was baked in when the stock was at 100. How about 90? I thought it was baked in. 80, I thought it was baked in. I mean, this thing was touching 70 yesterday. It's like there's a whole new batch of uninformed shareholders learning about it every single day. Maybe you can buy them here. The stock rallied 3% today. 
But it's very disheartening to see this kind of drug stock crumble during a market-wide sell-off. Big Pharma is supposed to be resilient. And there's Gilead, a stock that's been falling out for ages. A few years ago, Gilead made a fortune after coming out with a revolutionary cure for hepatitis C. But it worked too well. When you cure a disease, you start running out of customers. Now, Gilead's introducing its own generic version of this drug 10 years before it loses patent protection. And while that's a very noble gesture, it sure seems like a terrible business strategy. While the stock bounced today, I can't see it turning around long term. Bristol Myers has been left in the dust by Merck, its main rival in the fight against cancer. Its stock's been crushed. Then yesterday, out of nowhere, we learned that Baxter International's been hit with market share losses and a glut of one of its own products. Stock lost 10% of its value in a single day. Where's the safety here? It might just be getting this one. These stocks, like their food brethren, they keep being rocked yesterday by Kellogg and tonight by Kraft Heinz. They used to be safety first situations. No longer. They're safety last. These names are bouncing today. But the next time the market gets slammed, you no longer want to rely on a broken drug stock or food stock, for that matter, to protect your portfolio. Wow, what a change. Kent, Rhode Island. Kent. Jim, good evening. How are you? I am good, Kent. How about you? I'm doing great. Hey, I want your take on CBS Health. It's an exciting time for CBS. Uh, they're in the final stages of the acquisition with Aetna. Quarterly earnings are coming out Monday morning, and the forward-looking PE is only hovering around 10x. I like this situation very much. Sir, I like it. Kent, I'm a buyer of CBS, old Rhode Island company. By the way, remember how much we liked Cigna and Express Scripts and everybody laughed at us? They said, oh, come on, Jim. Well, Cigna is now up. About 35 points. I think CBS is a good situation. Trying to figure out how to get the trust to be involved in it. Let's go to Michael in Illinois. Michael. Hey, Jim. What's up, buddy? How are you? Well, I don't know. When you get to a trillion-dollar market cap, people are starting to say you're (laughs) cursed. I don't know about that, Michael. How can I help? Well, I just wanted to say thanks for having me on the show. I'm an Air Force vet who has a daughter who's currently active duty, my daughter Jasmine. Oh, that's uh, so great. Congratulations. Thank you for serving. Thank you. Jim. I want, thank you so much. I wanted to get your take on uh, a company called Acorn Pharmaceuticals. Now, we all know about the failed buyout that they had. With yeah, but generic, generic. No, we're going to pass. You know, we've got stocks like Merck that are so good that are winning. And, uh, and the drug stocks that are doing badly, they just don't stop doing badly, sir. So I'm going to say if, if, it's, if it's doing badly now, it's going to do badly from here until the year end. And by the way, our veteran show is November 12th. And it's always one of the highlights of the year. All right, guys, it's tough out there. It, it, it means that even for the used-to-be-safe-haven drug stocks, we've got to be a little more careful. They're now as toxic. Well, they're as bad. When they're bad, they are so, so bad. Tonight, the first FDA-approved cannabinoid medicine is now available in the U.S., thank heavens. What's that mean for the company leading the charge? I'm going one-on-one with the CEO of GW Pharmaceuticals. Then companies spend a ton to protect themselves from hack attacks. But is there a new reality? I'm talking to Proofpoint CEO to find out. They protect your email. And I'm taking a close look at the health of the American consumer with the CEO of Federal Realty Trust. So stick with Kramer. Jim Kramer gives thanks to America's best and brightest on a special Veterans Day edition of Mad Money. If you are active duty or a veteran, we invite you to join us in studio as our guest as we honor all who have served our country. Monday, November 12th at 6 p.m. Eastern. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It offers flexible spending capacity that adapts to your business. 
You can also earn up to $395 in annual statement credits on eligible purchases at select business merchants. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. Support for this program is provided by Chevron. Methane management is a critical part of achieving a lower carbon future. Chevron is taking action to keep methane in the pipe. Their 2028 upstream methane intensity target is set to be 53% below the 2016 baseline. They're committed to evolving facility designs and operating practices. And they've trialed over 13 advanced detection technologies, including drones and satellites. That's energy in progress. Learn more at chevron.com slash methane. We've spent a lot of time lately talking about the medicinal marijuana business. Now that Canada is fully legalized. But you know what? There's an actual drug company that's been studying cannabis for years in order to create real medication, GW Pharmaceuticals. And its stock board higher today. It was up nearly 10% or 7%, $10 or 7% on the news that their lead drug is now available here in the U.S. Now, uh, make no mistake. GW Pharmaceuticals is not a medicinal marijuana play. They, they make actual medicine that's been vetted by the FDA, where you know that every dose is going to be exactly the same and your insurance company will actually pay for it. Today, the company released Epidiolex. It's their epilepsy drug here in America. And they've got another one, Sativex, uh, Sativa, Sativex, for multiple sclerosis spasms. That's approved all over the world, uh, even though it's still in phase three here. I don't get that. I think there's a lot to like, though. But even after today's run, the stock has lost 20% of its value last month. So it maybe it's, it's not like you're chasing it. Don't take my word for it. Let's check in with Justin Gover. He's the CEO of GW Pharmaceuticals. Get a better sense of how his company's doing where it's headed. Mr. Gover, welcome back to Mad Money. Jim, thank you for having me back on the show. When I speak to doctors, sir... The first thing that they say is, what kind of medicine can we prescribe where it may be 5% this or 10% that, or we don't know what's in it? We need an actual FDA pill that's regulated so we know what the dose is. That's what GW Pharma is offering, right? And that's what we've been working on for 20 years now. And this year has just been an extraordinary experience, a series of historic milestones as the FDA has approved the medication, the DEA has reclassified it, and today we're launching it in the United States. Can you uh, tell people about the tortured way that you had to get this? Because the, the the people who are going to be taking that pill are people that really have, will have their lives dramatically changed by you. Well, uh, the response of each patient, of course, will vary. But the evidence that we've generated in these two very difficult to treat forms of childhood epilepsy has shown for this product, Epidiolex, to reduce seizures in a material way in a number of these children. So we're hopeful that this medication can make a meaningful difference to many patients' lives across this country. Were you surprised that the, uh, that the DEA, uh, this DEA, realized how important this is and changed class one, class five? Well, I think what of this reflects is an understanding within the DEA and FDA and other circles of federal government that when you do real science, you produce data that provides evidence of safety and efficacy, and you manufacture product in a consistent way where you know exactly what is in it day in, day out, that these agencies pay attention to this. They understand there's an unmet need. They understand that Epidiolex can meet that unmet need. 
And therefore, I'm not so surprised, actually, that they've uh, decided to recommend, firstly, approval of the drug and then to reclassify it. I think it talks to science and it talks to addressing a real patient need. And I think we can all align on that objective. Do you think that people will understand, sir, that you actually have a dosage, that you're, like, you're just like every major drug company, instead of just getting mail order from... Uh, uh, from wherever, from a state that it's legal, or you go to an Oregon, you go to California, bring back something and take it. Do people understand the difference, sir? I think there is still a need for education out there. But as you say, there is a real difference between an FDA-approved medication and anything else. That's uh, a standard that the FDA hold. We spent years trying to meet that standard and have now done so. We believe that physicians have desperately needed a treatment option which they know can be uh, to have the reassurance of FDA approval and believe that this is going to be an important new opportunity for patients to see the benefits at last of an FDA approved option. Sir, you have spent a fortune to try to get this through and, have the, and use a huge amount of science. What other applications will we, will we be able to see for this because it's such an important new drug? Well, first and foremost, we will continue to seek new indications for epidiolex within the field of epilepsy. As you mentioned in your introduction, uh, we also have a product outside the United States called Sativex, and we believe that there is potential to bring that product into the United States over the next few years. And beyond that, we believe that the potential for cannabinoids, these are molecules in the cannabis plant, for future FDA-approved medications is real. We're at the forefront of that science. We're leaders in the world in this area and believe that this journey is really now at its beginning in the United States to bring cannabinoid medications to patients that meet FDA requirements. And how are you going to be able to prevent uh, off-label use uh, from doctors who just say, you know what, I'll give this to you because it, is, it does happen to be one of the great painkillers. It does happen to do so many wonderful things for people who have, uh, let's say, post-traumatic uh, stress. How do you make it so that they don't use it, even though, frankly, sir, it would be good? Well, that's certainly not for me to say, and I can reassure you that, that our company is uh, committed to only marketing this medication for its approved uses. Uh, physicians do have discretion as to how they prescribe, but we believe it is absolutely appropriate for this medication to be provided to patients for whom it is indicated. Are there doctors who uh, have been very reluctant to give people what we know now as just different cannabis treatments, knowing that it could be anything that's inside it and really just want something that is actually a dose? There's been an, a huge need, and we've heard voices from the medical community from several years that they need to have access to medications where they have the assurance of standardization. They know exactly what is in it. They understand the dosing. They understand its interactions, its safety profile, and which patients to use it. So we believe that the Epidiolex product responds absolutely to that need and that our future products can similarly respond to needs in other parts of the medical community. Do uh, the majority of Congress people were willing to go with this or did it not matter? Science has led the way here as opposed to legislatures or politics. And I think that's exactly the right way it should be within the field of medicine. How many other studies do you have going on right now? Well, we have phase two studies going on in a range of compounds looking at conditions such as autism and psychiatric disease. We have uh, data already in the field of multiple sclerosis and pain. 
We have research in oncology and earlier stage research in other areas. So there really is a great deal for us to continue to research in over the years ahead. One last question. Do you think there are companies in Canada that are being irresponsible by saying that they're medicinal when frankly they're just winging it? Well, we think it's really important to distinguish between what is medicine and what is not. FDA make that determination, and where there are products that don't meet FDA standards and have not been approved by FDA, we don't believe that they should be appropriately termed as medications. Well, I want to congratulate you for what you've done. This is a compassionate use drug. I know you work very hard. I know there were forces that were against you, and you got it done, and you've done a great job for shareholders. Thank you so much. Sir. Thank you, Jim. Thank you. That's Justin Gover, CEO of GW Pharma. This is a real company with the kind of science that you need if you're going to try to go after some of these really tough illnesses. Mad Money's back here. Tomorrow, kick off the trading day with Squawk on the Street. Live from Post 9 at the NYSE. Oh, man, Bonnie, oh, Nick Higgins. <laughs> I, I mean, I'm I love older it. than the they are. runs that deep, Jim. You no, know, I just think that the Fed ought to watch the damn show. It all starts at 9 a.m. Eastern. Now the dust seems to have settled after last week's hideous decline, I think it's worth circling back to some of the companies that had the misfortune of reporting when everyone was panicking. Take Proofpoint, PFPT, the cloud-based cybersecurity play. Here's a stock that's been getting slammed since the summer. Then last week it got hit with another leg down, falling 15% on Friday after reporting. Proofpoint's actual numbers look pretty good to me. Company delivered a 12-cent earnings beat off a 28-cent basis, higher than expected revenue, but some analysts were disappointed by the guidance for next year, not to mention some of management's more cautious commentary on international hiring trends and sales productivity. At the same time, two of Proofpoint's top executives, the chief operating officer and the executive vice president of corporate development, announced their resignations, which would be a worrisome sign, especially since the COO just came over a few months ago. In short, for many, it wasn't a perfect quarter, but it also wasn't a quarter that should have caused a 15% decline, which is one reason the stock has come roaring back now that the market's gotten less negative. So is Proofpoint really a broken stock, one that can still be bought here, or is there something we should worry about more here? Let's take a close look with Gary Steele, the chairman and CEO of Proofpoint, learn more about the quarter and where his company's headed. Mr. Steele, welcome back to Mad Money. Good to see you guys. Good to see you. All right. Now, you start out, we talk about the endless customers because we are dealing with malicious weaponized documents now. So it sounds like that the opponents are only just getting stronger. Absolutely. And, and it's one of the key reasons we've been growing at the rate we've been growing. And, and it comes down to two things. One is threat landscape continues to get more complicated, more malicious. And the fact that more organizations are moving to the cloud, those have been great secular growth drivers for the company. I don't think of uh, tech companies as fi having difficulty finding the right people. But you actually, maybe it's a high-quality problem. It wasn't recognized as that. But you are having some trouble getting all the salespeople you want. Well, I think that, you know, as you look at our business, one of the exciting growth drivers for us is international. And part of that is getting great salespeople on board. And, and we were a little slower than we'd hoped. And I think that's something that's easily turned around. We feel very good about that opportunity. And if you look at it at a higher level, you know, over 80% of our revenue today comes from domestic markets. Right. That opportunity outside the U.S. is phenomenal. Those, those threats that we talked about, they exist there just okay. as much. So we're excited about the opportunity. And we're confident that we can improve our hiring execution in Europe. Now, I have to ask about that COO because he came in in July and uh, Klaus Osterman, and the word was he said it was, he thought that there'd be like a succession. Why? I mean, I would never, I think you'd be CEO for years and years and years. I would have known that. Well, 
I am going to be CEO for years Good. and years. But the flip side is, as board and doing prudent planning, we worked on a succession process. Klaus is part of that. He had the opportunity or, or thought he had the opportunity to succeed me in the short term. I'm going nowhere. I'm thrilled to be at the company. And I, honestly, I think we've got a greater opportunity today than ever before. So super excited and glad to be part of it. All right. At the beginning of Sachin Adela's conference call, he just says, listen, this is going to be our bailiwick. We're going to be security. Uh, he's got a whole new system that you can, it's very easy to go to where he can offer, offers a lot of services. You talk a lot about, about Windows and how they, people who have Windows need you. Are they catching up? Are they making it so that it's more difficult to do business? No, we've talked about the fact that Microsoft has been a critical catalyst for us right. as customers move to Office 365. Having said that, customers want world-class security focused on these specific malicious issues, and we feel like we're providing a great on-ramp for those customers and, frankly, helping Microsoft onboard more customers because security, obviously, is a primary concern. And we noted in our prepared remarks we had the best quarter moving customers over from Microsoft capabilities right. over to our solution. So... You know, we feel like we're actually helping Microsoft and we're giving customers a world-class experience. Now, uh, there is often a belief that it's all zero-sum, but we have, say, CyberArk on quite a bit. I was there yeah. looking at the board meeting the other day. They're a good partner. In Perva, we've had them on. Splunk, these are all partners of yours. That's right. So one of the investments we've made is doing technical integration across the ecosystem where we think those solutions will be installed. We want our mutual customers to have a phenomenal experience. And so by doing the integration for our customers, they don't have to make it all work together. We'll do that for them. Okay, now, uh, a lot of people are wondering, when will people get serious? Because you have a hack and uh, there's going to be some personal stuff that people get hurt on. But the SEC is getting serious now, aren't they? The SEC came out with a set of recommendations regarding the challenges people are experiencing around um, phishing, malicious email, malicious fraud as a, as a released email. And so they basically warned companies to look at their processes and look at their security posture. We, again, think this is an important uh, notification and catalyst for, for their business for us. So, I mean, what are, they, uh, are people calling you in and just saying, okay, look, uh, we need a consultation. Tell us what to do. Because I think everyone's pretty overwhelmed. It's pretty complicated today. Right. And I think that the threat landscape continues to shift. We see different forms of attacks. And so having a strong security posture is something that every company, whether they're SEC regulated or not, has to do. One last thing. You know, there were analysts at uh, Proofpoint, uh, Deutsche Bank, raising a yellow flag after recent checks. Uh, uh, the, the too many issues to defend, downgrade to hold. Uh, what, is, what are the too many issues to defend? I mean, yes, the, the departure. Uh, but I thought every. I didn't see a lot of issues. Today. No, we had a great quarter. I know. We had a great quarter. Billion-dollar you know, comp coming. But while Deutsche Bank downgraded us, Goldman and KeyBank upgraded us. So, you know, we don't pay attention right. to the day-to-day -day movement of the stock price. We've got a great business with the same secular drivers that have been in place forever. And we're super excited because the threat landscape is tough. Yeah, you should be super excited. This is unfortunately one of the great growth businesses of all time. That's Gary Steele, CEO of Proofpoint. I'm, I'm happy with what I heard. Man, money's back in the break. It is time. It's over the labor. And then the light rounds over. Are you ready, Skid? Dad, over the light round. We're starting with Bob in California. Bob. Hey, Jim. My question is about Biogen. Specifically, your opinion on the new board management team 
that has had a couple years. So I like the management team. I don't like the hype involving the, uh, the the drug for Alzheimer's. It puts a little too much pressure on the stock. Let's go to Tony in New York. Tony. Hello, Mr. Kramer. First time caller. Okay. My stock is Covanta CVA. I like a 6% yield. We've had them on air. I think it's a safe yield. People don't want to own the stock right now. Why? Because interest rates are going higher. So understand that's the tide that you're swimming against. I need to go to Richard in Connecticut. Richard! Booyah, Kramer. First time, long time. My stock is Cypress Semiconductor. Oh, well, this is ridiculous at this point that this stock is down with a 3% yield. Mine's the IDTI. You know, everyone got sick of IDTI, and then what happens? You got to take over a bit. Let's go to Jack in Ohio. Jack. Love your show, Jimmy. Thanks for your help. Uh, thank you, Jack. It's right above a 52-week low and right under a 3% yield, which is pretty good. And I love their products. Colgate, CL. I am shocked. Look, Colgate did not have a good quarter, and there are a lot of people who downgraded it, but I'm with you. When this thing gets, but I'm going to wait, be a little more cherry. At 3.5% is where I would buy this and not before then, because you have stocks like IFF and Estee Lauder that are really crushing it. Church and Dwight, too. So we got to go with the good ones, not the ones that are right now out of favor. Matt in Virginia. Matt. Jim, my man. Yo, yo. I'm from Cape Charles, Virginia, but I want to give you a big red Cornhusker. Booyah! Boy, remember the Cornhuskers. They were the power. Oh, yeah. And it's going to happen again. What's going on? It will happen again. All right, my question is, what are your thoughts on Carrizo? You know what? Because oil went down, Carrizo went down. There really is not much more to it because, boy, I tell you, that I think Chip Johnson's done remarkable work there, and he's expanded at the right time. He's got a better balance sheet, people realize. But the group do not want to go higher because oil is now plummeting. Let's go to Steve in New York. Steve. Hey, Jimmy, I want to ask you about a company that has a $32 billion market cap. They announced earnings last night, which I thought were pretty good. They also announced a $3 billion share, dollar share buyback, which is following a $2 billion share buyback. And they also raised their dividend 24% back in February of this year. The company is Allstate. Can you give me I some know, advice? but look, a miss is a miss is a miss. It's like uh, Gertrude Stein there, but they did miss the quarter really badly. And uh, even though the combined ratio was actually a little better than I thought, you can't touch it. You can't touch it. Let's go to Don in Big Mo, Missouri. Don. Hey, Jim. Just wanted to thank you for all you do to help us be better thank investors. Thank you very much. My stock is Blackstone. I like yeah. Blackstone very much. I think it's been terrific. It's one of the better performing stocks. We recommend it really forever. I don't know Steve Schwartzman, but he does a very, very good job. I need to go to Amy and Marilyn. Amy. There are many online dating sites. What do you think of the match group, MTCH? I think you care more about how I view the stock than the actual uh, implementation of the, the dating I, right, I don't get my executive. I think she's asked me more about the stock, right, Regina Gilgan? Okay, yeah, because the stock is, I don't know the service, but the stock is really inexpensive and it's doing a remarkable job, and I am a buyer of the stock. Of the stock. Okay, of the stock. Um, let's go to Len, of the stock. Let's go to Len in New York, Len. Hi, Jim. Thank you so much for the excitement that you've been giving us in our investments. My question today is about. Uh, Ubiquity Network, UBNT. Yeah, wireless out. network. You know what? If we're going to do wireless network, uh, high performance radios and stuff, there's so many others that I'd rather have you be in. Uh, that one is way too controversial for me. I'm not kidding. That's too controversial. And that, ladies and gentlemen, including the Lightning Round. The Lightning Round 
is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. If you want to understand the central dilemma of this market, take a look at Federal Realty, the incredibly well-run shopping center real estate investment trust with properties in wealthy areas across the Northeast, Mid-Atlantic, and they're beautiful, okay? Last night, Federal Realty reported a darn good quarter, a nice top and bottom line beat with robust guidance. In fact, in this morning's conference call, CEO Don Wood described it as, and I'm quoting, the best quarter we've ever had, end quote. And what happened? Stock barely budged. It's still down more than 6% for the year. Is that right? Now, some of this is because the REITs are simply less attractive stocks in an environment where investors are worried about rising interest rates. Federal Realty supports a 3.3% yield, but that's not much higher than you get by owning a risk-free, let's say, 10-year treasury. At the same time, a lot of people are still concerned about a Fed-mandated slowdown, which would not be great for retail. So what can investors get excited? When can they get excited about Federal Realty and the REITs again? Particularly Federal Realty because of its long history of dividends. Let's dig deeper with Don Wood. He's the president and CEO of Federal Realty Investment Trust to learn more about the quarter and what lies ahead for one of the largest landlords in America. Mr. Wood, welcome back to Mad Money. Good, Good to see you, Don. Thanks for having All me. All right. Greatest quarter ever. How does that translate to someone who says, you know what, I love that guy, but I'm getting that 3.5% on my uh, five-year CD. Well, let's talk about what it means, first of all, right? Uh, the, the, when I say the best quarter we've ever had, you know, REITs are measured by funds from operations per share, uh, $1.58. We've never done that much cash flow per share in a 90-day period of time. Um, and it's not an anomaly. It is the direction that we're going. I think we are the only um, shopping center REIT, certainly, that has increased cash flow every single year since the turn of the, since the recession back in, in 9 or 10. But it's that dividend question that you just asked, uh, just talked about, that, that I wanted to address for a second. Sure. If I can, you know, there, there's no question, yields are up on bonds. Right. So as I sit and I, I look at Federal's 3.2 or something like that percentage yield on, on, uh, from a dividend perspective, you have to say, well, is that it? Right. Let me ask you this. There's, there's, and this number blew me away. There are 26 companies, all companies, everywhere in terms of, of public companies, that, that have a record of increasing their dividend every year for 50 years or more. 5-0, 50 years. Federal's one of them. Uh, Procter & Gamble's another. Coca-Cola's another. Those three right. are the only ones today that have a 3-2 or 3-3 yield. The rest are below Whoa. that all the way right. through. So, so stop and say, this guy has, first of all, this is a special REIT. It's, right. not like, it's not like most. Now let's go further. With the stuff that we have done and have announced and some stuff that hasn't been announced, um, we've got the ability or are highly likely to grow cash flow and earnings again, 19 over 18, and 20 over 19. From things that we're You actually have that level today. of visibility. The Procter does not and Coca-Cola does Well, that's it. Thanks. I appreciate right. that, too. Uh, you know, and, and so when you sit and you think about that, right. um, I, it's hard for me to, to say that this is the same as a bond. Capital appreciation is, is important. Yeah, and if you were to liquidate this company, Federal Realty Today, sell every shopping center, we would effectively get significantly more than the stock is trading at today. That should matter, too, from a, from a bottom-level uh, Absolutely. Now, let's talk about things that have happened in your industry to make yeah. you more confident than I've ever seen. Okay. One is there's been a change in the mixed use that you put together. It's no longer just a shopping center. And then the second thing is that it's very clear to me that the omni-channel brick-and-mortar side actually may be an advantage hmm. versus 
the, the just all online. It's really interesting in terms of what's changing in the marketplace and how the consumer is, is, is growing or, or adapting, uh, whatever. When we sit and we think about our, our company, we basically, our core competency is putting the right retail together in any particular location to create a place. And those places are, are just in that first-ring suburb, usually, out of uh, the centers of the major cities right. along the East Coast and, and California. But once we have them there, how about following the trend, which we've been doing for 20 years, 20, of saying, you know what, people are sick of traffic, people are sick of, uh, people are looking to efficiency and, and things right. like that. They want to live, they want to work, they want to effectively have their lives at these these environments. So if I'm working in Splunk, yes, sir. I want to have you choose Splunk because they're one of my favorite companies. And Me too. With you, <laughs> they're a brilliant company. They are. I, I just think they're incredibly well run. And if I work there, I would like to have this at my convenience rather than at my home. I'd like it at my work. Yeah, and 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 as a result, I mean, we we now have have completed two buildings, office buildings, uh, in our retail-based company for Splunk. And that's in, in Silicon Valley at our Santana, Santana Row um, uh, community. And I, I got to tell you, you can, you, with what we hear from their employees, with how we see them using the entire right. property, the office and the residential are integral to how the retail And is how used. about the fact that you already know that every time somebody, be always say, oh my, what happens with a bankruptcy? I see it's very clear that any opening, you're... Uh, renting at a higher price than last year. Well, that's that's right. And and again, if you're in the right locations and you're at places that, that effectively are in demand, demand exceeding supply is an important thing. And that's not the case for our industry in total, I don't believe. Can I hit on one thing that sure. you just talk, talked about? You know, there's an awful lot of, of uh, online companies that just several years ago would say we don't need bricks and mortar, right? We, we are online, right. it's more efficient, et cetera. But the cost of acquiring a customer is a hard thing to do. And obviously the last mile piece of right. how to deliver goods to that customer is certainly, is certainly not all figured out yet. There are dozens and dozens, and I might to say hundreds, right. of, of not even startup anymore, but established online companies that are saying bricks and mortar is a critical part of what it is that we do. All right, I just one last question. I don't like a Fed that says maybe we have to overshoot to slow down the economy. I, everything I hear from you is that things are just really good. Mm -hmm. What's the matter with that? Can we let it go, or, do, or does the Fed have to slow it? Well, look, the, the, i got to pick the things I can control and the things right. I can't control, right? They, from from, from the, the glass half full part of this conversation is, you know, with interest rates rising, interest rates are only rising because the economy is doing well. Right. The economy is doing well, consumers are doing well, and we're in a consumer business to some extent. So, so from my perspective, that balance and how that, that works, is it's, it's above my pay grade. Right. But I, I, I got to tell you, things look pretty good. Well, right? you know, we just got Starbucks numbers tonight. Looks like there's uh, people coming back that's to the shopping center. That's an important tenant to us. Right. That's an important tenant, uh, Starbucks says to us. It's part of how you want to live going forward. Perfect. Well, I want to thank Don Wood for putting it all in perspective, as he always does. Don Wood, Federal Realty Investment Trust, President CEO, the, the only real big real estate REIT that we're recommending. Bad Money's back after the break.
Apple's down for two reasons. One, people think they gave a disappointing forecast. But second, they're not going to break down by unit and give you numbers of different divisions that they have. I think the latter it just doesn't interest me at all. The former, the company is a historically very conservative company. The actual numbers stand for themselves. They are very good. The ecosystem continues to get better. The stock was up 30% going in today. And I think that most of the other tech stocks we know that reported were way down going in. So it was natural that it comes down. You know what? This may be an opportunity, particularly if it goes under 200. For those who have never bought the stock, I would start nibbling. No need to be aggressive. The market, other than the last three days, hasn't been all that welcoming of late. I like to say there's always a bull market somewhere. I promise you to find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer, and I will see you tomorrow. CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts.